Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This special episode of Afterwork Drinks is brought to you by me, Period Care for the Modern Woman. Hello everybody and welcome back to that time of the month, an ongoing partnership between Afterwork Drinks and our friends over at Me, the period care brand designed by and for the modern day woman. A recurring theme that crops up whenever we speak to you guys is the shame that so many women have around their bodies. Whenever we field questions from you, there are dozens about our reproductive health, hormones, sex, periods and mental health, all of the things that are still weirdly considered too taboo to talk about. Which is exactly why we've partnered up with me on this new series, which explores some of your most asked questions about the female body, while also talking to the remarkable women that make up the Me Collective. This is actually the last in our three-part series, and today it's all about period sex, vagina shame, STIs, and basically everything you don't want to ask your mum about. We've had such incredible feedback from all of you about this series, so please rest assured that this is not the end, and we will keep having these conversations in one form or another going forward. Yes, shall we jump into it? Let's jump into it. Okay, so we asked you guys on Instagram, as we spoke about on the last episode, a bunch of questions ranging from how old you were when you first got your period to how you felt about using a tampon to the amount of information you were given about periods and hormones and everything from school and from your parents growing up. And then we also asked a few fun questions about (laughs) things like period sex, which seems crazy that it's still so taboo to talk about. Um, and Or that it's even a thing. People like, do you do it or have you done it? I find that funny. Yeah, quite a few people actually responded to our DMs and said that they have never done it. Yeah, right. A couple, a couple out of hundreds who mm. who do regularly or have. But we asked for yeah, your your most embarrassing slash funny period mishaps. Um, we had we also asked a question about what you guys want us to cover, and we had an overwhelming response about STIs and STDs slash STDs slash STIs. Um, vagina shame, vulva disparity, and vaginismus. Vaginismus? Yeah. And vaginismus. Um, so we're going to touch on all of these points before we then chat to a really incredible woman called Hannah Creera, who we've actually spoken about on the podcast before. Hannah gave me a human design reading a while ago, 
over Zoom and she uh, is really passionate about the mind-body-soul connection, which really ties into this episode in terms of a lot of these issues that women face, um, which are overwhelmingly mostly to do with shame in our minds and the way we're conditioned. So these are surface-level conversations about some very massive topics and we kind of in this episode are just trying to open up the dialogue about things that people find maybe too taboo or awkward to talk about with their friends um and they're all things that we could kind of do whole one to two hour deep dives on so yeah what grace is trying to say is we are by no (laughs) means experts but we will get experts involved further down the track and go deeper on these discussions this is just kind of opening the conversation and encouraging you to do more research on your own and learn more and chat to friends about all of these things. So, first for a bit of fun with the period sex yes. answers, I'm going to read out a few of the answers to our when period sex goes wrong dot 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 Instagram question, which Grace hasn't actually read no, yet or hit heard me. yet. Yes. Okay, so one answer was just crime scene. One was <laughs> one night stand with a coworker who I wanted to bus for so long got started and suddenly it was like the shining (laughs) and i love that girl gets extra points for using the word bus yes boyfriend who was so weird about blood at the best of times fainted during period sex there's a few that fainted really lost so much blood when i stood up after we'd finished i fainted god one night sound went down on me and his face was covered in blood i'm dying even as i type this I fainted about two seconds after shower sex and my boyfriend had to cover my wet, slimy body all the way to the bed. <laughs> Someone said period... Sorry, this is getting quite graphic. Period blood f- flung off his dick and onto the wall. Ugh, Too drunk, forgot about the tampon. I've done this before. Found it about six days later. I realised, like, right beforehand. Yeah. Because I was prompted. Yes. That I had a tampon in. Yeah. I feel like that's easily done. Yeah. Um... Sneezed just after he finished and there was a literal explosion. <laughs> in the shower, he passed out after looking down and seeing some blood on his dick. Oh my god. So funny. So many, um, queasy guys. <laughs> Had sex with a neighbour, blackout drunk and got my period all over his bed. Murder scene, mid-doggy with the hottest guy I'd ever banged. <laughs> hottest guy I'd ever banged. Hottest guy I'd ever banged. Um... I think we asked something about period mishaps and someone said accidentally pulled my tampon out of my pocket and used it as a chapstick. <laughs> Hot guys around. When I was camping, I threw my tampon into a tree and everyone knew it was me. I threw my tampon into a tree. <laughs> I don't even like fully understand that. She must have been trying to fling it <laughs> away into the bush and it like, got caught in a tree. <laughs> um, accidentally pulling out two tampons instead of one. I'd forgotten about the first. My period leaking into an, out onto an open plant office onto the floor. The stain is still there today. Imagine walking past that stain every day. Why is that stain still there? Blood, blood's pretty hard to get out. Mm-hmm. And then someone, a few people said getting period, getting my period when a guy I just met was going down on me. So lots on. Basically, overwhelmingly, we had hundreds of answers to these questions, and overwhelmingly, a lot of people just said that. Period sex is so normal, so mm. common. And one of the girls actually said, my boyfriend would just lay a, da- a towel down and say, my lady. <laughs> oh my God. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I know. But this is like the funny thing as well, because in so many of the responses to, there was that theme of 
I can't believe I'm saying this or I've told no one about this or this is so funny. And it's like this funny thing where behind the scenes of an anonymous Instagram DM, people feel more comfortable talking to strangers on the internet Mm. behind a screen than they do to a lot of their friends about this stuff. And I think that there's, there's still this like queasiness. I don't know about bringing it up to your mates. Because it's almost like that barrier thing where, like, no one wants to be the first person to say it and you're still worried that people will be like, oh. Yeah, That's I gross. I know. <laughs> like, but women can be quite – like, I think we tend to think of sex shame around vaginas and periods and sex and all of this stuff as, like, men shaming women. But a lot of the time it can actually be other women acting like things are abnormal when they're just not. Mm. Yeah, totally. I know. The co- it's – it's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like you'd have those conversations with your boyfriend because you're kind of forced to. Yeah. <laughs> but then you wouldn't have the conversations with girlfriends. I feel like I haven't really talked to anyone about period six before. But then again, I was on the pill for so many years, so I didn't really have my period. And why would Quite you? Naughty. Unless it was like a funny story. Yeah, unless there was a funny story to say about it. Yeah. yeah. There's like this kind of no need to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, I, I wonder what the conversations are like between men about it because it just seems I remember Louis CK I always bring up like this problematic comedian but he had so many funny bits and there was one about period sex and he said that some young 20 year old kid came up to him once after a show and he was like what do you do if your girlfriend has her period and he was like fuck her still like yeah what <laughs> he was like it's such a weird thing that young boys like not young boys but I don't know I don't know if it's like a locker room talk thing or something where there's this idea that it's gross when you're young yeah I know. I, yeah, I've never had, I've never had any guy not want to have sex when you have your period. They should be so lucky to even get near you. I know. Period or not. I, I've definitely had guys who've been like squeamish about it oh, or really? haven't done it before. Mm. And they're like, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you see this. It goes in here. Things are not very different. Okay, so on to another topic. We're just like hitting all the shame hotspots. We're going to go like down this road where it gets like more and more shameful for women as we go further on. Next topic is STIs. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of response about STIs. Because no one talks about them. No one talks about it. Statistically, so many people we know and are good friends with will have had STIs. And yet I can't think of more than a couple of friends who've opened up to me. Yeah, About getting STIs. Me too. So um, I actually was thinking about the time, I think it was Coachella last year, and there were all those, all of these reports about a herpes breakout at Coachella, and everyone was being so judgmental and making all these jokes, and there were all these articles about it. Um, it's the worst word. Like, it needs to be changed in herpes. the dictionary. The word herpes. I know. It's awful. I know. Herpes. That's a huge part of the stigma. It's just the fucking name because it's just a bad name. I know. It's like um like the word moist. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the worst of all the names. Yeah, gonorrhea is a bad name. Yeah, gonorrhea. All of these, all of these <laughs> STIs. The STIs need a rebrand. Like chlamydia is kind of gross. Chlamydia is kind of cute. Chlamydia. <laughs> kind of sounds like a name, like a chic name, like Clementine or something. My daughter Chlamydia. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but there were all of these reports about a herpes breakout at Coachella and everyone was being so judgmental. Fuck, sorry. Shut up. What time are you going to be done recording the podcast? I don't want to interrupt. Well, you fucking are. <laughs> Too late. Then there were heaps of articles about how common it actually is. And 
the fact that it, I just find it crazy how there's just such a stigma around herpes. And, and I think the reason I feel quite strongly about it is because when I was at uni, I had two really good friends of mine and they were both, they're, they're best friends and they were both super open about the fact that they both had herpes. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so, they're a bit older than me. And I was being so shocked at the time of them talking openly about it, mm. um, telling me all about it. And 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 it's just funny because you have that perception. I don't know what your perception is, but you have this perception in your head of what someone who gets an STI is like, which is absolutely crazy. I think For them to be yeah. two girls who would sleep with maybe two to three people in their entire lives. Yes, and... but this is like the thing that it's so rooted in and it's so fucking hard to like unpack completely. Because I do think it is... I don't think it's I don't think it's purely a female thing because I think that there is like the rumors about Timothy Chalamet. You know how there's that rumor that he bred chlamydia all around NYU. I mean, I guess if he was a female celebrity, that would be seen as more disgusting, as more quote yeah, unquote yeah. disgusting yeah. Oh, and more damaging to their career. Whereas for him, it's like kind of funny and on brand. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is something about that really old fashioned idea of women's like purity and cleanliness and all of these weird gross things that are tied to not having sex and that those things those old-fashioned cultural ideas express themselves in the way that we talk about and understand stis Mm. because we treat them as a kind of i don't know what the word is it's shameful it's seen as shameful because it's like seen as not taking care of yourself or something yeah whereas that's not what it is at all it's just extremely common well yeah, when so when my two friends were telling me about it, because I think because with, with gonorrhea and chlamydia, it's curable. Like you can go to, well, actually, so yeah, gonorrhea and chlamydia are both curable. So you can go to the doctor and get treated with antibiotics. So her, that's why herpes has a much bigger stigma to it because mm-hmm. it's incurable. Right. But it's literally. And hyper contagious, right? It's literally the same as cold sores. Mm-hmm. So everybody. Every single person who has a cold sore, who's ever gotten a cold sore in their life, has a strain of herpes. Mm-hmm. But it just might not be genital. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is there so? Why is there like no real stigma around having cold sores on your lips? Mm-hmm. But there is about having it mm-hmm. on your genitals. Mm-hmm. It's just so, I, I just find it. I just find it really upsetting. I remember because <laughs> I remember. Sorry, I remember my friend t- telling her boyfriend at the time, and he was like really, really funny about it. Like, made her feel like shit and and was kind of considering whether he was going to be with her or not. That's, yeah, it's so crazy. But but saying that, like, if I was however old you were then early 20s. Yeah. And a guy I started dating was like, hey, I have herpes. I would be the exact same. Yeah, but instead, because everyone is like that, no one tells anyone. Exactly. That's what I mean. (laughs) It's like, this is this rolling thing of just lack of sexual education, lack of awareness, lack of understanding of what any of these diseases actually are. And that just keeps perpetuating this problem. And then the reason that STIs like spread at such a crazy level is because no one's getting tested because they're fucking terrified. Mm. No one wants to tell partners that they have it because they're so ashamed. Mm. So then it keeps in this cycle of like passing around to everyone where no one's talking about it. No one knows they have it. No one's telling people that they have it. And then suddenly one in two people under 25 who are sexually active contract an STI. So um, actually the most common STIs, which I didn't know much about HPV, HPV can... It's a very American, like... Yeah, I've never heard I think it's anyone having different. it here. I think it's Genital just... warts. It's, or something. Yeah. And there's also CIN2, which is something that you get 
diagnose it's like a precancerous cells in your cervix before right i've never heard of that but but hpv is a cause of cervical cancer so maybe yeah it's i think the they're same the thing. same thing but right. it's called something different in australia right because remember in girls she's like i have hpv and i was like what's that yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's that same <laughs> yeah um which can cause genital warts and hpv is so common that almost every person who's sexually active will get it at some point in their life if they don't get a vaccine which i don't think any of us have had a vaccine for that i have no idea i've had i had a pap smear recently and the woman was like oh and i was like don't say that when you're in my cervix firstly and then she was like you need to i want you to go to a gynecologist and a doctor to check up on stuff and everything was fine but she was like something something cervical cancer and then my friend was like no we had the cervical cancer vaccine in school Hmm. and i was like did we Oh, uh, yeah, I feel like maybe I did that. I fainted. I fainted when I got my vaccines at school. Speaking of fainting because of period blood, I faint when I see the needle. But yeah, most cases of HPV just clear by themselves within one or two years because the immune system fights them off and eliminates the body from the virus. And then gonorrhea and chlamydia are both treated with antibiotics. And then herpes, which is like cold sores, everybody is, there's no cure, but mm-hmm. you're fine. You're not going to. Nothing's gonna happen. Nothing's gonna happen. Yeah, but yeah, it's just it's just crazy that there's so much shame attached to STIs when they're so common that almost everyone has had one, and the fact that they're still considered dirty, which kind of bleeds into shame around our vaginas as a whole. Yeah, so I feel as if we're all kind of marginally, peripherally aware of the fact that women suffer from vaginal shame. But as we kind of researched this topic this week, I think we were both very shocked at the extent of it and at how much it's ramped up in the last few years so refinery 29 wrote a piece about how girls as young as nine are asking to have their labia medically shortened which is labiaplasty um despite the fact that there's no medical need for it and there's actually many cases which is quite depressing and freaky and weird of mothers bringing their prepubescent daughters in to have it done because they think their daughter's labia is unusually big oh my god so looking at the actual science of it uh, a lot of the research that we read on this topic was by dr jen gunter who's a gynecologist who's written a lot of amazing books and articles and pieces about vaginal shame so she says that the typical labia minor is two to ten centimeters in length and 0.7 to 5 centimeters in width. So that means that over 50% of women have a labia minora that protrudes beyond the majora, which means like a visible labia. And yet 75% of women think that having a protruding labia is unusual and needs to be treated medically by going under the knife. Really? Right? So it's like 50% of women have a thing that 75% of women think is so rare that it's like a medical problem. Wow. Okay, so that means 75% of the people listening to this podcast think that... At least, yeah. Yeah, think that it's a problem. I didn't know that people thought that... I didn't know people thought that. Yes, it's a massive thing. And people think that it's kind of... I remember Naomi Wolf said when we interviewed her that she thinks it's the next step of the beauty myth, is this vagina myth that's perpetuated by internet porn. That people are desiring the quote unquote Barbie pussy. This is why I don't. This is why I don't know because I don't watch porn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just blissfully unaware that blissfully their vaginas unaware. are supposed to yeah. look a certain way. <laughs> um, yeah, no, exactly. And I feel like that's. I mean, as someone who has dabbled in porn as a viewer, hmm. um, 
I personally don't feel like there's a generic one type Barbie, quote unquote Barbie pussy throughout the porn I've seen. But you're, um, probably, you're probably watching good porn. feminist <laughs> yeah. porn. Yeah. Um, but obviously it is a problem. There's a website that we're going to put in our show notes, which um, Dr. Gunther recommends women um, all go through and look at because it's literally just hundreds of labias. So you can just see what is actually normal and like give yourself reassurance. Actually, I flicked through a vagina. I flicked through a vagina book years ago. So maybe that's another reason. Like yeah. subconsciously why and I Mo- don't think that way. No, Mona? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mona in yeah. um what do you call it? In Tasmania, they have a, a vagina wall of just all these these different amazing labias. And I was like, oh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of the problem with how girls are kind of socialized to treat looking at their vagina and thinking about their vagina and touching their vagina with shame because it stops you from having a kind of objective look at it and also what we were talking about before we started recording is that the fact that straight women see so few vaginas in their lifetimes that aren't in porn that we don't even know what's what's normal and what's not unless we go out and actively research it which you don't think to do again because there's shame attached to it Mm -hmm. and we were just talking about this beforehand that you end up getting your feedback from men Mm mm-hmm who also probably haven't even seen that many vaginas in their lifetimes and who also just don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah, who are then, then being even more so informed by porn. Yes. And a specific type of porn. Yeah. And probably have few sexual partners and then are coming to you with saying something and could make a completely offhanded comment. That's something that this doctor says is so common, is like one offhanded comment by a sexual partner male sexual partner can literally ruin your sexual experiences for years if not Mm. your whole life and for them they're so unaware of like the connotations of what they're saying on this broader level that they probably don't literally maybe they're just like posturing and think it's a cool thing to say because they don't fucking know i mean this isn't about my vagina but literally when i was 20 a boyfriend of mine i went to wash my makeup off my face and a boyfriend goes no you look so pretty with makeup on (sighs) Because and I have freckles on my face and I've always been sub, like uh, what's the word? Yeah, sub, self-conscious. self-conscious of my freckles. And so from the, that date on, I was like, oh, I just have to wear makeup all the time. And he would never have even thought he probably didn't like he obviously thought I was pretty regardless because he was dating me, and and yeah. and that's ruined my relationship with my fucking with my face. face. <laughs> and it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm. They don't realize that that's the 50 billionth thing in years and years and years of seeing comments in movies of seeing like differences in reactions, to how people react to you in like mm. overhearing stupid teenage talk. The funny thing is that dumb shit that said when you're a teenager, like I remember when I was a teenager, someone, there was a group of fucking guys. We were all 13. So young. And some guy said, oh, my older brother says there's nothing more gross than like a pussy that hasn't been waxed. And I just, that's just stayed in my head for so Mm. long, even though it's a bunch of idiots who don't know what they're talking about, trying to sound cool. And then a bunch of, and it's all just stupid. And it's like, we intellectually know it's stupid, but those things have a really massive lasting impact on you. Yeah. And it's hard because then you don't even know, that's how I feel about, uh, my body here everywhere is mm. I don't even know what I actually like and don't like because I'm so conditioned to think that I don't like body hair. I know. I saw a picture of Jemima Kirk the other day and she had the full underarm hair and she just looked so 
fucking hot. Yeah, Florence Given looks insane with her underarm I was like, hair. I want to grow my underarm hair out. That looks amazing. Mm. But then I just... Don't. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I, don't shave my, I don't shave my legs often at all because I am a lazy bitch. But um, when I don't have them shaved and they get like, if it's been like over a week and they're kind of long, I quite like it. Mm. I get quite into it. Mm-hmm. And then I just end up shaving them. Um, but a huge thing, a huge thing that uh, Dr. Gunter said is that she sees so few gay women who are vulnerable to vaginal shame. In fact, she can remember just one because they see all kinds of vaginas and vulvas. And so they know that there's no one normal thing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yet another reason to be a lesbian. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yet another reason I wish I was sexually attracted to you. <laughs> <laughs> So something I really liked, um, especially in this conversation that Dr. Gunter Gunter talks about, is that what we have at the moment, it's been dubbed the vaginal vaginal industrial complex, which is basically this kind of massive emerging industry that exists purely on vaginal shame and vaginal self-consciousness, even if it's presenting itself as empowerment and liberation and destroying vaginal shame it's still rooted in the existence of vaginal shame so she's very critical of goop for example mm. um but she says yeah that right because it's like yeah right even though they're saying this is empowerment it's still resting on the assumption that you sh- like mm-hmm. we are ashamed of our vaginas so we should do things like get a vagina candle to show that we're not ashamed whereas she said like body neutrality we should just be aiming for indifference and until very recently, women were just indifferent to their vaginas. Like she says something along the lines of, I don't think about my knee until my knee's hurting. Yeah, don't right. obsess over different parts of your body until there's actually a problem that presents itself. And she says she so often, especially in the last two to three years, gets women coming in that are convinced there's something wrong with their vagina, that it looks wrong, that it's not wet enough, that the taste is wrong or the smell is wrong or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with it. And they just spend so much time thinking about and stressing about their own vagina that they're looking for problems that don't exist. And she was like, the problem is in women's head, they've been kind of fed this narrative very recently that there's something wrong with them. So they're seeking out problems that aren't there. Whereas you should just respond to an issue if it arises, which will be very obvious to you. (laughs) Yeah. If there is an issue. Yeah. That's so true. Um, I wonder if men think about their dicks this much. Yeah, I don't know. I think on a more primal level, men are really obsessed with their dicks, but on a more day-to-day level, they're not. Yeah. And women are kind of chill about their vaginas on a broader level, (laughs) but obsess over these details. Yeah. Yeah, didn't you... What were you saying before about the woman who went... Who thought that her vagina was too dry? Oh, yeah. So this was a really great piece where someone... um, interviewed Dr. Gunter about her book when it came out. And she said that she went to the doctor because she was experiencing some dryness and that she was concerned she was quote unquote drying up because she just turned 30 and her doctor after dryness during sex. Yeah. She was experiencing dryness during sex. She was concerned she was quote unquote drying up because she just turned 30, which is such a huge part of this fucking fucked up aging, anti-aging narrative that we have as women and after less than five minutes he recommended to her a so-called vaginal rejuvenation laser treatment which is basically a cosmetic treatment with very little like basis in science 
And this doctor was absolutely like horrified because she says that firstly, if someone comes in like talking about vaginal dryness during sex, you should be asking them about their relationship with their partner, their communication, their foreplay. Is she feeling confident enough to ask for what she wants? What's her historical? Is she on? Is she taking medication currently? Yeah. Is she getting enough sleep? Is she stressed? Yeah. What's her diet like? Is there yeah. some major change in her life that's making her whatever? And that after you work through all of those factors, you look at some of the scientific factors, like if there's like a bacterial or a yeast problem or something, you don't tell a woman <laughs> to go and get some expensive cosmetic treatment to make her pussy seem nicer like it's just it's kind of scary that there's so much misinformation out there and I guess that's something we've realized especially in this series is that so many you just assume doctors are these like wells of knowledge and then so many doctors are not given the right information about this stuff because it's kind of under-researched yeah I know and it's it's so important actually we're just going to touch on um before we before we chat to Hannah, we're just going to touch on vaginismus because we had quite a few people DM us about it, wanting us to speak about it. And we wanted to speak briefly about it here before getting experts on a later episode to delve deeper because we think it's such an important topic that stems from you saying you need to get second opinions and you need to go to the doctor and you need to speak to more than one doctor. I would always prioritize going to see a woman. But vaginismus is if you have pain during sex because it's when the vaginal muscles tighten up on their own before any kind of penetration and this happens automatically there's no way of well there there are ways of stopping it happening but you yourself won't be able to stop it happening it can happen even if you've previously enjoyed painless sex it can just happen at some point in your life and there are a multitude of factors behind why this happens but basically if you have pain during sex go and get checked because you may have this or you may have another similar condition um and definitely get checked up by multiple doctors if the first ones are telling you that there's like um this woman um in a huffington post article that i was reading said that a doctor said to her that maybe she just wasn't into her partner there's Mm -hmm. so many different things because they just don't actually understand what's going on but if you have severe pain during sex that's not normal and go and get it checked because vaginismus is super common Yes, and it's that thing, again, we've talked about where women's pain is often minimized, so you might have been conditioned to think that it's just, like, you just need to suck it up and take it, or that um, you just have, yeah, that you just have to experience that, and that there's no... Or that everyone feels that way during sex. Yeah, that everyone feels that way, and it's not true, like, sex should be an extremely pleasurable activity for you, um, and you absolutely deserve to be, like, properly diagnosed and treated So now that we've chatted about the scientific side of female shame, we're talking to Hannah Carrera about the importance of building a strong relationship between your mind and your body using tactics like meditation as well as more traditional forms of psychology. So Hannah's career started as a lawyer and then she moved into studying psychology and is now pioneering a path in what she calls soul psychology, something that blends modern psychological principles with spiritual practices like astrology, human design and meditation. So what we found through all of our research about women feeling shame about their bodies is this kind of big disconnect between their mind. It's like when in Sex and the City, when Charlotte doesn't want to eat the cake and then Carrie's like, the problem isn't in your thighs, it's in your head. It's like that disconnect between your brain and your body is such a big, is basically the basis of this 
issue. And so we wanted to speak to someone who kind of focuses on getting those things in sync. Yeah. And also tells us fun things like who you should date. Based on your star Based sign. Based on your star which sign. Is very important. Very important. We're so excited to be partnering with me to bring you these special episodes which are focused on women's health. Me is the new modern period care brand that has been designed to be displayed proudly and openly on your shelf, not hidden away. Me is committed to championing a new narrative around period care through empowering campaigns, collaborations and charity partnerships holding space for all people with periods and the issues that are important to them. Through the Me Collective, a group of empowered and empowering women, three of whom we're talking to on this podcast, Me is bringing a spotlight to topics from periods to pregnancy, miscarriages to menopause, hormones to holistic health. Me is vegan, dermatologically tested and free of synthetic dyes, fragrances and chlorine and Me's unique hybrid design consists of a considered blend of certified and sustainably sourced 100% organic cotton and performance-based synthetic material, showcasing the very best combination of form and function. Plus, Me's pads and liners have a biodegradable sleeves and all products have recyclable cardboard exterior packaging. In addition to all this, Me is committed to ensuring every person who needs access to period care products can do so and is working alongside Kids Can in an effort to help alleviate period poverty in New Zealand. Plus, also of importance, it is very, very chic. Find out more at mecollective.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, hello, Hannah. We have actually had you do a takeover on the After Work Drinks Instagram before, and I have talked about you on the podcast after we did a human design read together. Um, could you just fill our listeners in on what it is that you do and how you got into it in the first place? Yeah, sure. So, um, I practice soul psychology. Um, I use a combination of spiritual and psychological tools like astrology and human design. Uh, yoga, meditation, as well as like counseling psychology. Um, but yeah, I've always been really interested in the body, mind, soul connection. And that wasn't necessarily something I pursued straight after school. Um, I actually completed a law and commerce degree and then worked corporate for a few years. And yeah, I actually worked in a job that was it was actually incredibly heartbreaking as I was looking into cases of historic abuse and just reading really tragic stories of physical, psychological, sexual abuse. And like that was incredibly sad, but it gave me some real 
insight into, I guess, this cyclical nature of abuse and just the human condition. And during that time, I really had that realization that I wanted to be working with people in a capacity that felt more supportive. Um, and then during that time, I also got my yoga teacher certification, um, ended up quitting my job, worked at a health retreat for a bit. Um, that was really, really life-changing. And then went back to university, studied psychology, um, taught yoga a bit more as those things really aligned with my passions. And then over the past few years, I've got really into astrology and human design, which was completely unexpected, but they've all been really great self-awareness tools that have been really empowering and liberating for me. So kind of just gone down that rabbit hole and now I'm sharing it with others, which is, yeah, a really interesting turn of events, but I, I'm definitely lit up by what I'm doing at the moment. So. Amazing. And you just touched on the mind, body, soul connection. Um, which I think people tend to focus now a lot, maybe on like the mind body connection, but not those three things together. So can you just explain what that concept is and why it's so important? Yeah. I think that often when we do practices that actually combine the body and mind, just if we think of them as two units, that can be, a really useful way to actually start to understand there is something beyond that. So um, you can call it soul or you can call it, you know, even just energy. There's something that is, you know, you think of the body as the hardware, I guess, and then the mind as the software and has like, you know, the programs running. And then there's something else that kind of switches that system on, which I would, would call soul or there's something greater or some kind of, spiritual connection you have and and when i say spiritual connection it's just feeling something beyond what we see and so i think that having spiritual tools or you know systems that provide awareness or even just give language to parts of us that we don't necessarily see or you know read about it it can be really validating in our experience and often gives us a sense of purpose which I just think is really healthy for like a functioning human being like just so that you feel like there's something you're working towards or you know it can just feel quite defeating if it's just or I personally find it's a little bit disheartening if there's nothing more than what's around so I've always felt that the soul is a real thing and um, I've just been drawn to spiritual practices so it speaks to me and it's kind of one of those things that it is hard to give language for because it is so ethereal or esoteric but I do believe that there's something something else there and, and believing in that can be really really uh, it, it just provides me a sense of purpose personally but it definitely means different things to different people and you've mm -hmm. said that what you do um in all of your work is that it's kind of like a modern approach to self-discovery. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between what people would see as quote unquote, like normal psychology sessions versus the soul, the soul psychology sessions that you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my, my personal explorations into spirituality and psychology provide the foundation for soul psychology. Um, because because I guess I have a few strings to my bow, including the psychology qualification, but also just studies into spiritual sciences. I didn't want to 
limit the work that I offer in readings or in sessions with people to the traditional idea we have around psychology, just because it would feel completely inauthentic to share one side of something when I've been so enriched by so many other practices. And it's interesting, in session people tend to be more towards the spiritual and it greatly depends on like the person, but we might use some information from human design or astrology alongside um, talking through things like incorporating counseling psychology. I also use things like tapping and breath practices and just lifestyle tweaks. But I think that with it being a modern approach to self-discovery, I, I haven't loved the way spirituality has been shared in the past. And I just believe that I believe that people are really ready for the information now and I just think it needs to be delivered in a way that speaks to the modern mind and just 2020 as an example but in general I think that the world is just really highly stimulated and confused and often it sort of feels like there's a crisis of values and or people are just kind of hurting to know who they are or what their purpose is and I do find that spiritual tools and psychological tools can be really um, reassuring to navigate change because they often provide validation for you doing you as you are naturally not as society has defined you and so I usually find that those things like astrology and human design it's like a, a wink and a nod from something you know up above or whatever you want to um, picture it as just saying like yes this this is actually your path you aren't crazy like it's all purposeful um, so <laughs> there's a lot that goes kind of into it, but yeah, I definitely so. like to combine both worlds. We are both super interested in astrology and the moon and wanted to know whether you think that your cycle and sex drive and hormones are impacted by what the planets and the moon, et cetera, is doing at any specific time. Um, yeah, so astrology is really fascinating. And I think that when you look at your personal chart, because but basically like people often know astrology from horoscopes and we kind of think we have just one sign and that's that and it's just really amazing when you uncover how much more there is than just your sun sign like for example you have a moon sign like you're saying and other things like I would I would suggest the moon Venus and Mars would be really interesting to look at when it comes to cycle and sex drive and stuff and I think that even from a really scientific point of view like the cycles of light in the sky influence our endocrine system and sleep cycles and reproduction metabolism that kind of stuff so when you look at the moon if you think about how the moon pulls the tides and that kind of thing when we have a full moon our energy is kind of drawn out a lot of people tend to be tend to have a lot more heightened energy and so like it, you, you might have even heard how in the hospitals and on the roads there's more accidents and things around the time of the full moon and there's just like things being drawn out of people and so it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be super super hyperactive but I would suggest with especially as females like tracking the moon cycle and seeing how your energy um, evolves over maybe the course of a couple months like the more the better because you can start to notice how there is a consistent pattern usually and how you feel um, and then you could obviously track your cycle with that as well but um, the moon does travel in phases and it's a really useful planet to actually look to when it comes to 
emotions it, it, your, your moon sign represents your emotions and I just find like for me let's say just emotionally with the full moon I tend to be really really hyperactive and want to kind of put myself out there and then a few days after the full moon I know that I have like a huge crash usually because I just do not sleep on a full moon and then um, new moon is usually more kind of introverted and introspective and so I just always encourage people to kind of find their flow and track it with the moon because it does tend to have like a, a cyclical effect and women particularly work on a 28 day give or take a few cycles so I find that really useful and then just with when I was talking about the other planets that you have like in your astrology chart Mars if you look to where Mars is well, you can even look um, collectively. So right now, Mars is in Aries, which basically Mars is the planet of lust and sexuality and libido and high passions and also like aggression. If you were feeling really kind of frustrated or things were felt quite like stop and start, that's usually, you know, related to things like what could be going on with Mars and like it's in its home sign of Aries, which is definitely a really aggressive or it can be an aggressive uh, warrior type of sign. Um, so I think that having Mars in Aries for so long at the moment, I just think like things might start to really heat up. Then the planet Venus is like how you attract things. So you could look into that as well. It's kind of your feminine receptive energy, how you're turned on. Like there's so much that you you can look into with these different signs. But yeah, it does it does sort of have an effect on our cycle and like sex drive and different things but you could just view it and through different lenses I guess something that we've kind of talked about throughout this podcast series is the way that a lot of women have kind of internalized shame about their own bodies or their own kind of like reproductive health um we wanted to ask you if you've had a kind of journey about coming to terms with um any issues of shame around yourself and why it is that you think so many women have to deal with it um yeah so over I guess the past five or six years I've definitely done some work around my own self-limiting beliefs and just uncovering I guess um pivotal memories around body image and self-worth and I I think that women tend to base their self-worth on a few things but usually it's like appearance or it could be a sense of achievement or um, an ability to kind of nurture or care for other people and for me like from a really young age I guess I witnessed females being valued for their looks or overhearing conversations or like receiving validation for my own appearance and so I guess in my child's mind I believe that that was where I would source my self-worth because you know like as kids our our brain is so impressionable and so if we have these experiences especially ones that carry a lot of emotional charge that sort of forms the foundation of our current belief systems no matter like how logical or illogical they are and so I think that um for me the appearance thing was kind of a big thing and like when you unpack it to the the fear brain like that limbic brain it's like if you don't look this way like you will be rejected or like basically that's kind of a sign of not surviving you know for the unconscious part of us but I think that yeah that definitely 
influenced how I showed up in the world in different ways. And often it would actually be like really trying to avoid attention just for like subconsciously fearing not living up to a standard. But then around like 18, I definitely, um, health took a turn, was like had an eating disorder, but luckily it didn't spiral too far, but it definitely left me with a whole bunch of, I guess, health complications. And I have a lot of, compassion and understanding around the grips of control with those things and definitely screwed with my hormones and along with coming off birth control like that I've definitely been on a bit of a journey with that but it's great to see people now talking so much more about um, menstrual health and all that kind of stuff that I think yeah for me personally though healing myself I've I've used tools like self-hypnosis and journaling and yoga and body work and I think that yeah because neuroplasticity is really useful in terms of rewiring certain memories where I felt body shame and stuff so those things have personally been really really useful for me um so yeah I think I think that every woman has a journey with that but I've I think that's sort of why it was well with things like soul psychology or teaching yoga and meditation, those things have been the biggest healing tools for me. Um, and probably sounds quite strange, but I, in yoga, they say a lot of emotion gets stored in the hips. And so I definitely had times where I'll be, I actually, I never was able to do, this is a random tangent, but I was never able to do the splits as a kid or anything like that. And then one day I was just like stretching and then had this massive, I was just at home, so it wasn't in the studio or anything, but I had this massive urge to like try and get, I don't know, try and open my hips more. But I and then just like burst into tears and was crying and just repeating the words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for so long. And then after that, like since that day, I still didn't even know what it was about, but my body had this release and I've been able to do the splits, which is just so random, but I just mm, believe that these moments stored in our body and mm. yeah. But I felt that was actually quite healing, but yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, we've been, we have both been slowly working our way through Body Keeps the Score. So we're very like interested in that Mm, kind of a whole concept. Yeah, Um, my therapist is like gagging for me to keep doing yoga, but I I keep, I do it for a bit and then I fall off and then like I can really tell the difference in my mental health when I'm not doing it. Yeah. And even like breath work is really powerful. Mm. Mm. Um, we wanted to ask um, if there are sort of things based on what you just talked about that you wish you could have told your younger self um, to maybe avoid some of the stuff that you ultimately went through yeah and I think like when it comes to some of those belief systems as a child it's like sometimes we just have to go like we we sort of go through these paths to learn certain lessons and so I think that um but but I guess for my uh, probably the, the teenage self, I would just say like I used to feel really different and sensitive and like I had to kind of hide who I was or fold to who I was just to be the same as other people. Like I, I thought to achieve approval and acceptance or to just be worthy of receiving love, I had to be the same. And I think that all I really needed to do was just work on accepting and approving of my of myself. And so just telling myself, you know, like, I don't know, like those literal words, like 
or saying to myself, like, I approve of myself. That was actually a, a, um, a Louise Hay tool that I learned. And that was actually really useful because it felt easier than being like, you know, I think that self-love starts with like self-liking. And so I don't think that self-love just happens overnight. And that statement, like I approve of myself, it, it just essentially leads me there. But, you know, it's like you just kind of do a little bit more every day. And just like, it sounds really cheesy, but it'll just be be yourself and you'll be so much happier. Um, <laughs> and I probably think my younger self could probably give me some advice right now too. <laughs> just yeah. like, yeah, that there's a beauty in that naivety sometimes but <laughs> we have a funny like it's just silly question to end on basically um yeah. and that's do you believe that certain people shouldn't date based on their star sign <laughs> no I think that um I think my advice would be like to if you're interested in astrology like get to know um someone else's astrology because it definitely can show where there's like harmony or where there's could be friction but I think that sometimes we need you know chemistry in, in certain relationships if you want that and I I just wouldn't write it off because someone's a certain sign and I think like um we all activate each other's charts in unique ways and it's like not even just in rela romantic relationships it's all relationships but um yeah I think the the big thing like if you can like look into someone's chart that that allows for acceptance and understanding of different things and I think when you understand someone or you feel understood by someone that creates that's a really beautiful intimacy that gets created just through that but um but no I wouldn't be writing off relationships based on sign <laughs> <laughs> um thank you so much Hannah you have the most soothing voice I could honestly You're the, yeah you forever. Like, yeah calmed me down I want to book I feel like I'm meditating <laughs> Same. You have like very, very relaxing energy. I guess that's Aww. your job, but it's, it emanates <laughs> through the screen even without visuals. No. <laughs> Thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of that time of the month. This is our last in a three part series, but we really hope to be back either in this capacity or um, continuing the conversation on our normal afterward drinks episodes because there is so much to cover and we really want to delve deeper into a lot of these topics. So keep messaging us all of your experiences, questions, comments, concerns on at Afterwork Drinks podcast on Instagram. Our closed Facebook group is Afterwork Drinks. Um, what else? We leave us a review. Leave us a review. Rate, review, subscribe. And we will see you again on Wednesday. See you on Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.